my wife's so supportive. Well, welcome, welcome to week two of our series, This Is Us. Amanda, if you, uh, did you forget you were my helper today? No, I'm not going to find somebody else. Because you're my writer. Nobody can read, can't read anybody else's. She'll be back there in a minute. Uh, week two of This Is Us. Yeah, come on up. You're good right there. Yeah, get that big one this time. Um, we've been in this, we started this series last week, and, and here, let me ask a question to start out today's message. How many love a good underdog story? Come on, now more people than that. You, of course, we. I'm talking about movies like this, like this one. Um, remember the Titans? Come on, anybody remember? Oh, what? Yeah, see, it's okay to to to. Be a little louder in church. Uh, we are alive in church. What about this one is everyone's favorite Christian underdog movie. Anybody want to guess? Facing the Giants. Facing the Giants. Uh, oh, who, who does not like Rocky? Come on now. If you don't like Rocky, you know, just hush. And this is one of my son-in-law's favorites. What about this one? The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks, Emilio Estevez. Uh, here, what about this one? Yeah, Notre Dame story, who cares? Come on now. What about this one now? Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Come on now. Somebody, I don't know if I should raise my hand for that or not. Uh, but everyone loves a good underdog story, even kids. What about this? Snow White. Let's set up some counseling after this service for him. So, even kids love a good, you know, you know the premise of this story. You've got this queen who every day, every morning she wakes up, she goes and she looks in the mirror, and what does she say? Ferris, put, put Ferris up there for me. Is that not working? Ben, did Ben give us a faulty... Ben Harris. Who is calling their path? They know I'm preaching. <laughs> hey, D. Pinkert, I'm preaching. Don't be calling me when I'm preaching. You hear me? Okay. He's praying for me now. He's praying more. Fairest of them all. And then how would the mirror respond back? There's none fairer than you in all the land. And everything was great. I mean, it, it was a, can, are y'all having a hard time saying that over there? Let me move it. Everything was great until one morning she got up and said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror gave her a different story. And from there, it made Snow White's life a living hell. Because of this fact, not only did it change the way she saw herself in the mirror now, it started changing the way she saw Snow White in the mirror. And the mirror, man, it, it is one of those things, man, where what you see, the Bible even talks about a mirror. It says, who looks in the mirror, sees something wrong, and does nothing about it? If you see a mistake in your hair, but you don't do anything about it. And, and so, with that being said, uh, Hollywood has made billions, like I said, of dollars on underdog stories. But one of the greatest underdog stories is in the Bible. Anybody know what it is? 
David and Goliath. Come on. The greatest underdog story is found in 1 Samuel, one of the most well-known. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to have grown up in church like I did. Most people know the David and Goliath story. Let me ask, what if the David-Goliath story was more than just an underdog story? What if there was more to it? Because, see, the only version of David and Goliath that most of us know is the VBS version. The children's church version. The watered-down bedtime story version. You know, here's the bedtime story. Here's what happened. What if we sat down and gave our kids a bedtime story and told them this story as true to Scripture as we could? Hey, little Johnny, the student, they said bedtime story. Here's what happened. There was this young man, little David. And little David went to take his, his brother some food and check in on this war that was going on. Oh, let me tell you, in that days when wars were going on, what they would do is if, if the winning side, if they won, they would either do one of two things. They would uh, either take those people that lost them into captivity, take them into slaves, or they would kill everybody except the virgin girls. Daddy was a virgin. Go ask your mama later when the story's over. <laughs> he said, and then, so, so one day little David came up. He's bringing food, and he looks up, and he hears this giant making threats. And David was like, oh, no, he didn't. And, and so he's going off, and, and, and that Goliath starts telling him stuff. Oh, you looking at me like this? And David's like, no. Man, you writing checks at your tail can't cash. I'm coming at you. And he, so little David takes him. He goes down to the creek bed, finds him five stones. And he takes off running this behemoth, this giant. He's slinging it around, John. And he throws it. And with such speed and accuracy, that rock, it goes and hits Goliath right in the head. And it was so forceful and hard, it penetrated his skull, going straight into his brain. And you know what else, little Johnny? What, Daddy? That wasn't good enough. So David then took the giant's own sword and pulled it up, and he cut, and he cut. He's cutting, and he's cutting through bone, Johnny. He's cut through tendons. He, there's, it's a bloody mess. There's blood going everywhere. He finally gets the giant's head off, and then he holds it up, and blood's dripping off his head. Good night. <laughs> now, that's a bedtime story. Now, while we had a little fun with that, the truth about it is this. That story is a very real picture of a spiritual battle that was going on then. And that story is a very real picture of a spiritual battle that is still going on today with us. Our giant is not some nine-foot, six-inch Philistine coming at us. The giant we face every day is one called sin. Us versus sin. Us versus our mistakes. Us versus our failures. Us versus our setbacks. Us versus our unemployment. Us versus you name it. The divorce we went through. Whatever. It's us. Now that's an underdog story when you get out to it. Because most of us, the odds of us killing this giant are little to none. And I mean, think about it. We face it every day. Every day it's the same old thing. We get up. We take a long look in the mirror and we'll say something like this. Mirror, mirror on the wall. 
Will I measure up today? Mirror, mirror on the wall, will I be good enough today? Mirror, mirror well, on the wall, will I be able to say no to those things today? Mirror, mirror on the wall, will I get it right today? Will I be able to face myself at the end of the day? Or maybe you wake up and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, I don't even recognize me anymore. And so we look in that mirror and we have all these parts of our past that we're not proud of because you, you, you may be thinking, you don't know me, Kelly. You don't know me, preacher. And you're right. But here's what I do know about every person in this room. We all have parts of our past that we wish could be gone. We all have parts that we wish we could get a do-over on. We all have places in our regrets from our past. I don't know, addiction? Some of it's addiction. Maybe it's a divorce. So we write that down on that mirror. Maybe it's unfaithful. Maybe, maybe it's a, a spring break one night, a one-night stand, or you were off on spring break and something happened you never intended to do. Maybe it was an abortion because you thought, thought that's the only way out. Nobody knows, and this is the only way out. And it gets written down on that mirror, so now every time you look in the mirror, these things begin to identify you and tell you who you are. Maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe it's something that was done to you. Maybe someone that should have had your best interest at heart touched you or did some things to you that they never should have done. And now when you look in the mirror, you see sexual abuse. You see molested. You see betrayal. And the thing is, when you get up every day and you look in the mirror, and that's what you see, those things begin to identify you. And they begin to tell you who you are. And, and, and so we wrestle with these things. And, and why, why did I put these? And, and then we get this giant of, right there, where, where's my, the big stuff. Thank you, Amanda. You did an incredible job. But then after all that, this is the giant we wrestle with. If only, if only I hadn't put myself in that position, if only hadn't taken those pain meds, if only I hadn't been unfaithful, if only I hadn't got on the internet one more time, if only I had graduated, if only I'd made better grades, and we live with this giant of if only, if only, if only. And when we do in this series, This Is Us, what you have to do is you have to settle who it is you see when you look in the mirror to say, this is us, this is who I am. Because for sad part for most of us, who we see in the mirror and who is identifying, who we're identifying as is not who God says we are. So what I hope to do with this story, David and Goliath, is I hope for us to look at it and today it speak to the if only giants in your life. Uh, let me give you a little backstory before we jump into 1 Samuel 17. If you got a Bible, want to turn with me there? If not, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. Uh, but there's a war going on between the children of Israel 
God, children of God, and the Philistines. They've been going to war for over a month now. David has three brothers fighting in this war. Uh, his dad, Jesse, sends him on his errand to take his, some brothers some food uh, and also to check on them and get an update on the war. And that's where we jump into this story, verse 20 of chapter 17. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed his dad. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Here's what they're doing. They're trying to pump themselves up, trying to get themselves ready. Come on, you ever saw two guys that uh, were going to fight? You see this in school all the time. Now you, you see it pretty much everywhere. They, they, you think they're going to fight. They're talking trash with each other, but everybody knows I ain't going to fight. You know, they're just talking back and forth. Uh, and I, I, so they're, they're pumping themselves up, knowing they're good and well. They're not going out there. I remember one time when we were trying to pump ourselves up. I was in eighth grade uh, on the football team. Uh, I played for the mighty Dayton City Sweat Bees. <laughs> it strikes fear in you, doesn't it? Just the name. Now, Andy Kelly was our quarterback. So if you're a Tennessee fan, you know who Andy Kelly is. He was our quarterback. I was a de defensive linebacker. And, and we had one of these games. We were, we were a decent team. And we were going up to, uh, I think it was Pikeville, to play this team. And I don't know. Pikeville just grows their people different than we do down here. And seventh and eighth graders, we get up there. We're ready to go play. We're excited about it. And if you're from Pikeville and that offends you, you, you really know it's true. Uh, so, and we get up there. And, man, we're, at, we're out there on the field practicing. Yeah, we got this. And then here comes their team. This was grown men <laughs> with beards. I'm like. Mama held them back more than two or three years. They come out and we're saying, oh, we got, we still got this. We still got this. Man, we can beat these guys. We, we were pumping ourselves. And you know what happened that night? They kicked our tail. I would love to tell you that it was an underdog story where we came out on top, but the truth is we limped back on the bus coming home that evening. And they beat us so bad that all we could do was joke about how bad they beat us. And, and it got to the point where we're joking about it on the bus, laughing, and our coach finally stands up and says, Shut up! Not another word till we get home. So we shut up and not another word till we got home. But that's what they did. That's what's going on here. You, you, you've got, they're, they're trying to psych themselves up. This giant has been coming out for 40 days in the morning and in the evening, hollering these taunts, shouting, and they know good and well they're not going to fight. They woke up hearing the threats and the taunts of the giant. They went to bed hearing the threats and the taunts. Every day, same routine. Every, every morning, the giant speaks. Every evening, before they go to bed, the giant speaks. For some of you, that's your story. That's where you're at right now. Maybe it's 40 days. Maybe it's four months, four years, 40 years. But every day, you get up in the morning, and the giant's shouting, it's taunted you. Failure. Loser. Divorcee. Addicted. And every, more, every evening, it lulls you to sleep singing that. 
How many knows after so many days of hearing it over and over and over again, you start to believe what you're looking at in the mirror? Can anybody relate? Come on. And here's the thing. Maybe your giant doesn't carry a steel sword. What it does carry is a sword maybe of abandonment. Maybe it carries a sword of depression. Maybe it carries a sword of unemployment, of sexual abuse. Your giant may not walk up and down the, the hills of Ella, but it does walk up and down the hills of your mind, of your school, of your workplace, of your home, telling you, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And it walks up. And day after day, night after night, this giant stands in the mirror taunting you. And let's be honest. It's not like you haven't tried killing it. You've tried killing it many times. But at the end of the day, it just leaves you bruised, beaten, bleeding, and wondering, is it even worth trying anymore? Is it worth throwing another punch? Let's keep going. Verse 21. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines, asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his what? Usual defiance. The same thing he's been screaming. It's routine now. It's over. But David did what? He heard it. He heard it. Why didn't, why, why didn't none of the other Israelites hear it? Why does it say, and David heard it? Because they've been listening to this for 40 days. And they've just become accustomed to what they've been told they are. They've grown numb to the threats. They've grown numb to the taunts. Yeah, I mean, it's what this giant has been shouting them every day. They've got used to it, but David hadn't. David hadn't. The Bible says David heard it and look what the israelites would do whenever the israelites saw the man they all fled from him in great fear all these seasoned soldiers all these seasoned warriors they take off running but david leans in and says did he just say what i think he said did he just defy our god did he just talk smack about our god and everybody else is running not david verse 25 now, the Israelites have been saying, look what they say. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He keeps coming out to defy Israel. So they know Goliath is there, right? I mean, they see him every day. They, they, they know that he's there. They know what he's been doing to them. He's there. They just don't want to do anything about it. They want somebody else to fight their fight for them. I, I mean, do, do, let me ask you, do these soldiers that are running scared, do they want this Goliath defeated? Yeah. Do, do they want to be free of this giant? But they don't want to do it. They want somebody else to do it for them. Hasn't that become our culture? I, I see what I want. I just don't want to have to do the work to get that. I want somebody else to do it all for me. I want somebody else to put in the effort. Or, or what it is, maybe, maybe, they were, maybe they were just tired of fighting. I mean, after all, the 40 days and 40 nights of hearing this, and so they go into this, I'm just going to ignore him, and hopefully he'll go away. 
How many of you have ever done that? But to here's rule number one. If you know anything about zombie land, there are rules. Rule number one about giant killing 101. Rule number one about giant killing 101 is this. There are consequences to ignoring your giant. There are consequences. There are consequences for ignoring the things you allow into your life. There are consequences for, uh, or, uh, or side effects for putting things in your body. How many know that? Kim Moffitt knows it. We go out with her to dinner, go out with her them to lunch. First thing she asks, is, there, is this cooked in peanut oil? Are there peanuts in this? Because you don't want to see the side effects of what happens to Kim if there are peanuts involved at all. And guess what? She doesn't care if it annoys you that she's asking. Why? Because she's the one that's got to deal with the consequences, not you. Not you. There, there are side effects, consequences. How many of there are side effects to coffee? Consequences is too much coffee. How many know, how many parents know there are consequences to allowing your kid to eat all the Halloween candy they got that night? Come on. There are consequences. How many know there are side effects to an energy drink? That's why we drink them. There are consequences, good and bad. How many know there are side effects to gravy and biscuits? Mostly it's these sides they affect, but there are side effects. Come on. Everything we put into our bodies, can we be real? It's the same with sin. Can we be honest? I know we're in the church where we're supposed to act like we got it all together. Can we be honest? Sin is F-U-N fun. Now, if it wasn't, I wouldn't have to spend half my time trying to talk you out of it. I remember growing up, we'd have these testimony services, and people would be like, oh, I remember when I was in the world. Devil had a hold of me. I did not enjoy doing this, doing that. I want to say, you didn't do it right. <laughs> you, you, something's wrong. You didn't do it right. Because even the Bible says this, sin is fine, but only for a season. And the problem is at the end of that season, when the fun is all gone, there are consequences to what you've allowed to be put in your body, to what you've allowed to be put in your mind, into your system. There are consequences to ignoring your giant. You remember the anti-smoking commercial? They had the lady, she was in a wheelchair and, and on an oxygen tank. I think she even had the little thing in her throat. And she says, it wasn't always like this. I used to be a cheerleader. I used to do this. But now, what happened? She ignored the consequences. Even though every time she picked up a cigarette pack, it said it. You know what her thought process was? This will happen to somebody else, not me. Same as vaping. I mean, right now it's cool. Right now, for some reason, it's cool to drive down the road and it look like your car is on fire and smoke's <laughs> pouring out the windows. I don't know, thank you for the fresh scent that I smell when I park beside you. I don't know. But now they're coming out with all these studies showing that there is more wrong with it than what they ever thought. 
People have died. But guess what? More people will die. Why? Because when we look at it, we say, that'll happen to somebody else. That'll never happen to me. And they ignore the consequences of what's going on. There are consequences to ignore your giant. You may be here saying, you know what? I hear you, pastor, preacher. I, I'm, I'm living in sin. Nothing bad's happening to me. Let me just say this. Give it time. Give it time. One of the biggest consequences it comes to us with is when you look back and think, if only, if only, then what happens is these if onlys, they begin to identify us and define us and tell, we, tell us who we are. And you could play it off and act like life is good, but when you get away from your friends, when you get away from all those others, and it's just you in the mirror, that's when the if only speak really loud. You're better than this. I don't even know who you are anymore. Is this, all, is this what I become? Is this what identifies me? And you play it all fine, but I'm telling you, it's when you get alone, and it's just you and the giant in the mirror looking back at you, that you begin to think differently. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe when you look in the mirror, all you see is addiction, whether it's pills, pornography, uh, alcohol, eating. Maybe that's what you see when you look in the mirror. It, it are, are those things right there. Maybe it's, maybe it's abuse. That's all you, because of what was done to you. And when you look in the mirror, that's what you see. Or maybe, may, maybe it's that it's not even on this board. It's a secret that you hope nobody ever finds out. And nobody else can see it, but you see it when you look in the mirror. Because you know what you did. You know what happened. And that giant wakes up in the morning. He wakes you up in the morning. And he sings you to bed uh, to sleep at night saying, that's what you did. And that's who you are. Can I tell you one of the greatest things about a relationship with Jesus is this. Your past does not determine your identity or your destiny. That is really good news. Your past, what you've done, what you've done. Uh, check out 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and we're going to come back to this. It says, therefore, if anyone is where? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, if you are in Christ, this may be what you did, but that is not who you are. Oh, come on, that's good news. That may be something in your past, but that is not who you are. That is not who you are. Now, if you're not in Christ, the good news is that can change today. Maybe, now, now, I'm not saying there's still, you may not still pay the consequences, but I'm saying the penalty for your sin, it has been paid by Christ. And that can change today. Let's get back to this story. Goliath is, is there. They can see him. They hear him, but they don't want to be the one to fight him. So they basically just ignore him, hoping he'll go away. Verse 26. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's right, like, um, did I hear you right when you're saying what? Whoever kills this guy is going to get. Now remember, David came there for one reason. What? 
bring food to his brothers, check in on them. Which may be the reason because David's got all caught up in what's going on there. Never brought his brothers the food, which may be one of the reasons they're so angry with him. Come on, anybody know somebody that's hangry? Yeah, come on, don't act like it's not a real disease. <laughs> My oldest daughter, she gets hangry in, a, hangry in a heartbeat. And David says, I know this is what I came to do. But I'm staring at my destiny, what God brought me here to do. I'm telling you, check it out, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. Did David say anything against Eliab? But it says he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Rule number two in Giant Killing 101. Don't ignore the giants, but do ignore the critics. Can we be honest? Everybody in your life doesn't want to see you kill your giants. Everybody in your life doesn't want to see you break free. Everybody doesn't want to see you living your best life. Why? Because if they see you break free, if they see you kill the giant, what does that say about them? And they would rather have you over here so they don't have to feel so bad about where they're at in life right now. Because if you've changed... That causes a big notice that things are not right with you when they're looking at them for change. But David, man, David's brother said, I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. And, and, and let me ask you, could it be that Eliab's giant he was facing that day wasn't Goliath at all, but it was bitterness and jealousy? Because remember, Eliab was there when the prophet came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the new king. And he gets passed over by his baby brother. And how many think, come on, y'all, how many have siblings? How many think David didn't kind of rub this stuff in a little bit? Come on. How, come on, he killed a bear, he killed a lion. How many don't think that ever came up in family conversation? Well, he lived, how many bears have you killed by hand? Don't act like y'all, come on, I see y'all put y'all's pictures on Facebook and Instagram, and you didn't kill it with a bare hand, you had a little camera tracking it the whole time, and you were 250 yards off, and killed that dangerous deer. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love deer meat, in fact, if you kill them, I love tenderloin, I'll take some. Um, <laughs> but don't act like you put those pictures on, listen, if, if it had been me, it's, yeah, hey, hey, Casey, I don't see you. Killing a lion with your bare hands. In fact, I see you, you getting killed a little kitty cat you had. <laughs> so it could be possible that the brothers are tired of hearing and they're like, hey, hey, listen. Because they know who God has told, who the prophet has said, this is who David's going to be. Yet what are they doing? Hey, who'd you leave your few sheep with? They're trying to say, David, don't think you're king just because God said you were. I want you to remember you're just a little shepherd boy. Get back to your job. 
I tell you, a lot of people in their lives, even those closest to us, will do that. Because they can't see the greatness that God has put inside of you. They can't see the person that God has created you to be. And so rather than, rather than celebrate who God is calling you to be, they'll try to make you identify with your past. I'm telling you guys. I love David's response though. You can tell David, this is not the first time David had argued with his brother. Because the Bible says, read it, the Bible's very interesting. The Bible says, David does not even respond to Eliab. He's just like, and he goes and asks somebody else. Well, what did the king say would, would happen for the guy that kills this? And Saul, Saul's like, here's that some young kid is asking about going out and killing this giant, and nobody else has stepped up to the plate. So he says, bring David to me. Let me, let me talk to this kid. And nobody else has stepped up. So can we be honest? It would have been a whole lot easier for David after his brothers insulted him in front of everybody to just jump on his horse and head back to the sheep. And it's a lot easier sometimes. We think, man, rather than sit here and face this, it'd be a lot easier for me just to leave. But here's the thing. Rule number three in John Killing 101. Don't stop fighting. Because it can become easy to get discouraged when this is what you're looking at. It can get easy to be discouraged when those closest to you that should be encouraging you are trying to remind you of who you were. It can be, it can be discouraging. But look what David says to Saul. David said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David says, yeah, this giant is big, he's strong, he's real, but I'm telling you, I'm not giving up hope. Uh, I, I'm not here to tell you to lose heart. We, we can't just not fight. We can't just, you've been doing this for 40 days, getting dressed up, putting on your army and armor and never do anything. We can't do that any longer. There's going to come a day, guys, when we actually have to fight this guy. He says, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. In other words, Saul says, listen, you've been watching sheep, playing a harp for me. If this were a dance battle, if this were Israelite idol, you might have a shot. But this is a fight. It's a fight. Some of y'all didn't get that American idol. Okay, let's go. But David's persistent. He goes on and he begins to tell Saul about the past battles. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. Anybody ever wonder what convinced Saul to have at it? But anyway, he says, then, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Stay with me. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Saul said, okay, if you're going to go fight, let me tell you how you need to dress. Isn't the way the church... Has done this for years. Somebody newly new comes to Christ. 
Oh, oh you want to win this battle and this walk? Let me tell you how to dress. Let me tell you what artists you can listen to. Let me tell you what type of music you can listen to. Let me tell you where you can go and can't go. Let me give you these lists of rules. Of what, hey, put, put on this armor. Put on these clothes. Let me, you can't go see any rated R movies unless it's about Jesus' crucifixion. Passion of the Christ. Come on, y'all. Y'all seen a bunch of heathens. Anyway. But here's what David understood about this. And what we need to get is the clothes don't make the man. Now listen, I am American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. I grew up in the South, born and raised in this place. But here's what I know. Here in the South, you go up and ask somebody a Christian, you've never met, you've hardly ever met anybody that's not a Christian. Everybody's a Christian in the South. Everybody. They just don't know what it means. Because when you press the issue of why you're a Christian, you'll get different answers. Well, I'm a good person. I grew up in church. I grew up going to church with my mom and papa. I say grace over my food. Or here's, here's one of the good ones. I'm better than a lot of other people. In fact, I'm better than a lot of those people that go to that church you go to. Here's the problem with all of those answers. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us become like one who is unclean. And all our what acts? Righteous acts are like filthy rags. In other words, hey, just because you, you can put a suit on a pig, it's still a pig. You can take a sinner, tell them what kind of music to listen to, how they should dress, whether to cut their hair, not to cut their hair, wake up and wear makeup, not wear makeup, do all this. But if it's a sinner, at the end of the day, they're still a sinner. Are you The clothes don't make a man. And he says, all of us become like one who is unclean. Do you know what that phrase, all of us, literally means in Greek and Hebrew? All of us. All of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Some of y'all enjoy that a little too much. I, I just said say the phrase, not carry on the conversation about it. All of us become like one who is unclean. Then it says this, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I could understand it better if it said all our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. It says all our Righteous acts. And listen, filthy rags, when it says filthy rags, that's not an accurate translation of this scripture. And if you've heard me preach on this before, you know it. The original Hebrew filthy rags is translated like this. Menstrual cloth. Yeah. You're right. And that's what God compares our good deeds or righteous acts to. A menstrual cloth. Doing all the work, trying to do all the work to make it right. Trying to do all the work to make yourselves clean. And God says, you're, you're, you're using filthy rags. All your righteous acts are just filthy rags. We work and we work trying to clean ourselves up. And God just looks and says, dude, what are you looking? What are you doing? And, and listen, we cannot clean up the mess we've made. Are you hearing me? 
We cannot change the if-onlys we've created. We cannot defeat the giant in our lives. I'm convinced of this. There are people that are in church, but they are not in Christ. Mm. This is why some of, the, some of you, you know people that have been in, ch- in church for years, but they are the same rude, jerk, and just mean person that they were before they ever met Christ. Come on now. That's why you can, that's why, that's the one, well, I'm about to go off on the rails. Let's keep it. This is why there are some people here, you've been in church your whole life, but you still don't feel connected to God. You're frustrated. You feel like you take one step forward, but five steps back. And when you look in the mirror and you see all this, you become frustrated because you've been trying to clean it off. On your own. It's like, why won't it come off? I'm tired of looking at all this. I don't want to see this in the mirror anymore. I'm tired of living like this. And you try and try and try on your own. But it's there. Because it's like it's been written in permanent ink on your heart. And that's what you see. But Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has become. Let's get back to the story. Wrap this up. Verse 40. So David took the staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Bible says that Goliath looked at David, saw that he was a little more than just a boy. And it says that that Goliath literally despised David. He's like, I am the champion warrior, and you send this run out to fight me? Then look what happened. So David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I love it. I love, this is gangsta right here. <laughs> Honestly, because before that, when you read it, Goliath is telling David, this is what I'm going to do to you, you little run. You come out here. And David says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to do all those things to you and then some. And I love that. You, you ever wonder why Saul, the king of Israel, didn't go out and challenge the Goliath? When you talk, when you read about Saul, the Bible says this about Saul. He stood head and shoulders against everybody in the land. So if anybody had a chance up against Goliath, wouldn't it be King Saul? Why didn't Saul go out and fight? Why didn't he go out? Here's what I think was the big difference maker between David and Saul. And the biggest difference maker for us is this. Relationship is the difference maker. Saul no longer had a relationship with God. You read about it. But David had an intimate relationship with God. Think think about this. When David comes on the scene, what is everybody talking about? Goliath, the giant. But when David comes on the scene and hears it, he can't shut up talking about God. Why? Because relationship is the difference maker. 
Nobody else on the scene discusses God. But David doesn't talk about anything else but God. Relationship is a difference in nature. When my kids were younger, if we were at the house and a bad storm blew in, thundering, the wind howling, I mean lightning, and it, 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 there, there was a 99.9% .9 chance that at least one, if not all my kids, are going to wind up in mine and Denise's bed. And I'm not going to run them out. I'm not going to tell them to get back to the room that they're stupid for being scared. I'm going to say, it's all right. You know why? Relationship. Relationship. That's the kind of relationship we have. Now, on the other hand, if you're staying at mine and Denise's house, you're staying over and oh, we've gone to bed and it starts storming. You are not welcome <laughs> to come and crawl into bed with Denise and I. No exceptions or the storm outside will be the least of your problems. Why? Because relationship is the difference maker. Relationship. What enabled David to see what nobody else could see? His relationship with God. That's what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, not around Christ, not aware of Christ, not even believe in Christ, but in Christ, because the devil believes in him. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And what I'm telling you, look, look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody here was alive 2,000 years ago? All that he was never mind Curtis I pray for you no no, uh, no we weren't we weren't alive when, when Christ died for us but it says before we were ever even a thought he died for us while we were still sinners he died for us why why he died because of the giant me that was in me. The giant if onlys that I would face. I hadn't faced these yet, but he knew they were coming. He knew they were coming. And he said, I'm going to send my son to die. Listen, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you today. The bad news is you can't kill this giant on your own. You can't kill the one you look at in the mirror on your own. Because the truth is, if you could, he'd have been dead a long time ago. The good news, Jesus knew that. And these things that would be done to you, these things that you did, they wouldn't catch Jesus off guard. He wouldn't say, man, I never saw them doing that. It didn't catch him off guard. He knew. He knew. He sent his son to die in our place. He, what he did, he, take, he came to take our old, our regrets, our past, our mistakes, our failures, our if-onlys, and make room for the new that he wants to put in us. Here's the truth. The giant in the mirror that we see every day, that man or woman, can we be honest? They're jacked up. They're messed up. Come on, be honest. 
They can't do this on their own. That man and the woman, he knew the giants we would be facing. He knew the giant of sin. He knew the giant of regret. He knew the giant of failure, the giant of loneliness, the giant of addiction. You name your giant. He knew that he could not be defeated peaceably. Like you can't sit down and reason with this giant. That's why the Bible says that, that, that hey, I, he came with a sword. He came with violence. Matthew 10, 34 says, I didn't come to make peace. I came to bring a sword and make war. Because when it comes to these giants that are staring you back, they don't respond to peace well. Jesus said, I came to bring war against those. And the thing is, when you allow Jesus to come in and take over, here's what Jesus said, no more. No more. No more. No more. See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want to wipe it off. He wants to destroy the mirror you've been looking at that has been identifying you and give you a brand new identity. Do you know what the biggest problem a lot of us do, though? Man, praise God, he's gone. Days, week later. Can I just put it back together? I don't know who I am. This told me who I was, and now I don't even know who I am. And Jesus is sitting there, I'm telling you who you are. You are my beloved. You are my child. You are my chosen. I sent my son to die for you. That's who you are. Quit trying to pick this up and put it back together. Hold all things are new. The old is gone and the new has come. Stand with me across this room.